thinking about Peter, do you ever have moments when you start remembering past sins and feel haunted by them? Times when you literally blew away your deepest convictions by irresponsible acts or decisions. Do you ever feel you succumb to sin so often that you have no hope of ever breaking free or being forgiven? Are you currently caught in some kind of situation you know is wrong, but you can't or you won't give it up? Well, if you identify with such questions, if you're a believer who can't stop sinning, if you feel guilty about the hypocrisy in your life, today's scripture is for you because it tells the story of Peter, our kind of guy. Peter's a disciple who denied Jesus. And yet he became the rock, or his confession of Jesus became the rock upon which our Lord built his church. Now, Peter is a man who loved Jesus deeply. And yet he struggled with sin all of his life. He was impulsive, he was angry, wanted to kill the Samaritans, cut off the guy's ear in the garden, uh, yet wanted to walk on the water, started walking on the water and sank. He, he's just as inconsistent as most of us are. A, a, a regular guy who we can identify with because he's not a super saint. Peter had one thing in his favor. He understood at a depth God's grace. And he knew God's grace goes deeper than any of his deepest sins. That God's love for him was totally divorced from his performance. And for that one reason alone, Peter was able to move from failures to new beginnings. I want us to take a look at Peter this morning and apply this incredible truth of God's amazing grace to our life all over again today because most of us need it. First, all Christians, like Peter, at times feel our lives are a huge disappointment to God. Be reminded, Peter loved Jesus, and yet at a critical moment, when his Lord was most vulnerable, needed him the most, he said, I don't know him. Personally, I marvel at how often I've stood with Peter and by my behavior said, I don't know you, Jesus. And many of us are in that position and we have to cope with some crushing guilt because we know we're nothing more than beat up, bedraggled disciples who can't give up sinning. I'm able to stand in this pulpit week after week for one reason alone. I'm confident that God loves me in spite of my failures and he's never going to give up on me. Even when I give up on myself trying to be good enough, even when I know I'm not making the cut for meeting my Lord's standards of behavior, his unconditional love comes to me and gives me confidence that I can always go and throw myself upon his mercy and hear him say to me over and over again, welcome home, son. I forgive you. Let's get up and do it again. That's the dynamic relationship we have with Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle is my favorite theologian in the New Testament, probably because I identify with his struggle when he was so honest in saying the following, which I think with most of us can identify with. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? 
And then he concludes, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Most of us have said over and over again by our behavior what Peter said, I don't know him. And as a result, we live, so many of us, under a cloud of guilt and fear because of our constant sinning and our doubting that God could ever go on loving us and continue to keep forgiving us. And you know what? We're afraid because we still don't understand God's unconditional love. I had a woman go out after the last hour just telling me, she said it four times, I don't get it. I don't get it. And probably because she's never been loved unconditionally. Most of us have not. Our parents from day one almost rewarded us when we perform well and withdrew their love when we didn't perform well. And that's how our society is based on a scorecard of performance. And I want to say it to us as good news again this morning. Christianity is all about grace. And it's not about good behavior. It's not about punishment. It's not about God's wrath if we blow it. In fact, Brennan Manning puts it this way, as only he can. Often hobbling through our church doors on Sunday morning comes grace on crutches. Sinners still unable to throw away their false supports and stand upright in the freedom of the children of God. And yet their mere presence in the church on Sunday morning is a flickering candle representing a desire to maintain contact with God. And to douse that flame is to plunge them into a world of spiritual darkness. Grace is simply the good news that God is on our side because of the cross of his son, Jesus. And therefore we're victors regardless of how well we played the game. And I need to tell you this morning that no matter how prayerful you might be or moral or righteous, how religious you are. You're never going to be good enough to save yourself. In fact, God made this very humbling statement. He said that any righteousness we're ever going to present to him is his filthy rags. It just will never be good enough. Paul the Apostle said, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What Jesus did on the cross was sufficient for all time. He saved us. He opened the door to heaven. It has nothing to do with what we do in some kind of a scorecard of righteousness to get there. You see, any gospel that's mixed with what Jesus did, plus we have to keep the rules and do these things, that's a heresy because it cheapens the sacrifice of Jesus. Either he died for us so that we could live with him or he didn't and we have to do it ourselves. There's nothing in between. So any religion that teaches we have to work to get God to love us and he's going to kick us out if we blow it, that's, that's religion. That's not Christianity. Scripture says where sin abounded, grace has more abounded. And so just as sin reigned wherever there was death, so grace will reign to bring eternal life, thanks to the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. How will you ever be righteous in heaven? One way, putting on the robe of righteousness of Jesus that we get the day we become a Christian. We have nothing to boast about before God except his amazing grace. Augustine said that God works all things together for good in the life of the Christian, even our sins. You know, 
The other day I was coming back from Southern California on Highway 5. It's a great road for speeding. You can go 70 miles an hour legally. And uh, I was doing 70 and most of the cars were passing me at 85 and I was feeling a little left out. So I, I do like to speed and we, we kind of kicked it up there. I'd no sooner gotten up to about 85. You come up over a rise, you know where all the cows are in the ranch. And there was a highway patrol radar trap and there were 10 units there stopping practically everybody. And I thought, uh-oh, I've had it. And car after car was stopped and I got through. And I thought, oh. <laughs> and, and then I immediately put my sermon mind to work and I said, this is a parable of grace. <laughs> and it really was because I was as guilty as everybody on that road. And then some guy after the five o'clock service, I don't know what you process when I give illustrations. You know what he dared to ask me? He said, did you speed up again? <laughs> and I had to say yes. <laughs> but you know, this is a story of God's grace. Come on. <laughs> you know, I know my life is a huge disappointment to God. I'm as guilty as any sinner on the road. The only difference between me and you and a non-Christian who has, doesn't know Jesus is that we're guilty, but we're let off the hook. We had somebody who paid the fine for us. We don't have to fear punishment. It's not that we're better than anybody else. We just are in love with a savior who paid it all and we got let off. And do we speed up again after we sin and get forgiven once? Yes over and over again. Why else did Jesus plan communion to be celebrated till he comes? Because he knew we'd need it day after day. You know, I think this is why Christianity is just such good news. And as the lady said last hour, I don't get it. It's almost too good to be true. We spend a lifetime letting it sink in that we're that important to God, that he loves us that way, separated from performance. In fact, you know the only sin that's going to keep us out of heaven? The sin of believing we don't need grace. We don't need a savior. Rejecting the sacrifice of Jesus as having any relevance to us. To dare to believe that we can approach a holy God with our own scorecard of righteousness. That will keep us out of heaven. We won't make the cut. You see, forgiveness of our sin, our relationship with Jesus, eternal life, all of it, everything we preach here is a gift freely received through faith, but never earned. The only labor that you and I can do as a Christian is to praise our God from hearts filled with thanksgiving and awe that he would love us so unconditionally. That's why worship should be a time of praise and joy because the Bible says we'll be doing it forever. And I'm really sorry the day the heresy ever came into the church long after the New Testament, when somehow when you came into God's presence, you had to put on a stern, miserable face and sit there like a mummy with no emotion. We are here overwhelmed with what God's done for us. And we can't help but break out in praise and hallelujahs as the angels do in heaven and we will join with them forever. I like what Thomas Merton wrote, quit keeping score altogether and surrender yourself with all your sinfulness to God who sees neither the score nor the scorekeeper, but only his child redeemed by Christ. That's how you're loved today.
Peter learned a huge lesson that night when Jesus turned and looked at him following his denial. And he was confronted by the intolerable, despicable truth of his inadequacy to be what God had called him to be. But he was embraced by unconditional love. <coughs> and it changed his life. A second truth. While Jesus accepts us in our failure, he always points us to new beginnings. In John's gospel, we find that touching story of the reunion of Jesus and Peter after the resurrection of our Lord. And I was so impressed. Rather than rebuke Peter for his failure, Jesus was concerned about one thing. Peter, do you love me? And at that moment, he said, of course I love you. And Peter was forgiven and he was restored and his confession of faith of accepting Christ as Savior became the rock of faith upon which the church is built. Out of all the 12, Jesus told, chose the most impulsive, <coughs> perhaps the greatest sinner, and said, this is the rock upon which I'll build my church. Jesus came not to punish, but to offer forgiveness and restoration, encouragement and hope and healing a new game plan for our life. And that's what he wanted to give everyone here this morning. That's why he invited you to his church. He offers this gift no matter how bleak our track record, how despicable our sin, how often we fall. <clears throat> Trusting Jesus as our Savior replaces our fear of God's wrath with unspeakable joy and new hope of what we can still become. That's why perfect love casts out fear. Brennan Manning puts it so well in saying Jesus invites sinners, not the self-righteous, to his table. His kingdom is not an exclusive neighborhood like airlines that have a class beyond first class for the super rich who, because of personal resources, can avoid the pain of air travel. It is far more like an AA meeting where those present know they're sinners who cannot save themselves. He comes for corporate executives, street people, superstars, Farmers, hookers, addicts, IRS agents, AIDS victims, and used car salesmen. In other words, he comes for all of us. This is the stunning good news of Christianity. Jesus comes today, as he did to Peter, offering you a new beginning, even if you're caught up in a lifetime of bad choices. Again, Thomas Merton stated it so well, a saint is not someone who's good but one who experiences the goodness of God. It is by grace we've been saved through faith, not by anything we have done, and nobody can claim the credit. A footnote, always asked, how does grace lead to righteous living and not license to sin? I would offer that to ask that question implies we still have a lack of understanding of grace. You see, once we realize Jesus died to make it possible for him to give us the gift of grace and free forgiveness, gratitude, a sense of deep indebtedness fills our hearts that's a far more powerful motivator toward holiness than all the fear of God's wrath combined ever could be. If fear would motivate behavior, people would never smoke, for example. Fear won't work. It didn't work in the Old Testament. It won't work today, but love will. If I continue boldly to sin without regard to the cost of my forgiveness, we don't understand the cross of Jesus or the seriousness of sin. 
It, it doesn't mean that we stop sinning. We do. But the difference between us and a non-believer is when we sin, we weep with Peter like Peter wept bitterly because we hurt again someone we love and we had to go back and get cleaned off and restored. And the good news, he's always there to give it. And that kind of love just keeps kind of filling us and changing us. And eventually till one day when we stand before Jesus, we will be like him. <clears throat> you see, once Peter had been forgiven by Jesus, it would never be easy to hurt him, to have a cavalier attitude, to ever hurt him again. Not because he feared his wrath, but because he loved him. I offer grace leads to holiness and obedience. And this is why Peter would later write in his epistle, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. He does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Even if we stumble on the journey to fulfill the will of God, or as Paul, the apostle wrote, sin shall not be your master because you are not under law. You're under grace. Jesus hates sin, he embraces the sinner. He offers grace to everyone who knows he or she needs it and will reach out in faith to accept the gift. And so this morning, if you're a believer all beat up by guilt, I invite you to take a fresh drink from the fountain of living water, the gift of grace. Repent of your sin again. Ask him to allow you to enter a new week with a new beginning, new hope, free from bondage to the past and free to have a brand new beginning. That's grace. If you're still on a journey to understand Jesus, I'd invite you to be honest with him, turn your past over to him, turn your skepticism and your doubts and yes, all your guilt and let him enfold you in his arms. Let him let you, let him tell you how much he loves you that he died for everything that fills you with shame and let him wash you and make you clean. That's how you become a Christian. And perhaps that's why God brought you here today to encourage the believer and to open the door to the seeker. And because all that's true, you know, this is incredibly good news. And an appropriate response simply would be praise the Lord for his incredible gift of love. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, thanks for not keeping a scorecard. Thanks for not giving up with, on us when we fail so often. Thanks for new beginnings. Thanks for unconditional love. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.